This episode of Spectre Cinema Club is brought to you by Boogie Goo. Need a potluck dish for the holidays? Show up with your best goo to blow your friends away. The perfect combo of salty and sweet makes this dusty dish a must-eat treat. So good the recipe your friends will beg. Just don't tell them about the secret dash of nutmeg. Boogie Goo, a taste you won't believe. Welcome, welcome to the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror subgenre. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and sitting across from me, it's Mr. Devon Taylor. Hello, hello. We're back. We're back. We're doing it. We're in a festive mood-ish, I suppose. Nothing festive about the movie we're talking about today. Not even a little bit, but it is the the last of our DECOM December, our DECOM-cimber, whatever you- DECOMBER. Whatever you- DECOMBER. I knew it was something- uh, I knew it was something a bit of a stretch today, but (laughs) uh, we salute the uh, Disney Channel original movies as we're talking about the very last installment into our series this month. Very excited to be talking about this. Yeah. uh, Very kind of like infamous in its own way uh, Disney Channel original movie. I'm sure this scared the shit out of a lot of millennials. back in the day (laughs) like this is uh definitely i mean i would say arguably the most spooky out of any of the Mm -hmm. um or the scariest of any of the spooky uh ones and it was like uh because uh i so this was what gonna be one of my choices but then a guest picked it yeah so then i was like cool we can talk that and then i'll choose smart house um would but then that guest dropped out so i was like okay smart house or this one it's got to be this one right um, excited to look into uh, Don't Look Under the Bed today as uh, as we kind of wrap it up. And then uh, next week's episode uh, will be kind of a, uh, a little podcast highlights episode. And uh, and me and Garrett, uh, we could do a little movie swap and, uh, you know, talk about these recommendations on uh, what we gave each other. Yeah, it's and, a uh, season of giving. And it we is will a be season giving. of giving. Um, you know, I'm again, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Scrooge myself, but... Um, I will say the the mood's creeping in on me a little bit. Had um uh, the first of uh, one holiday uh, uh, work parties the other night. Interesting. I skipped mine. Mine was last night, and I mm. had other plans. Didn't uh, super care to go. Hope none of my coworkers are listening to this, but. I don't know. I feel like with a lot of that kind of stuff, you work at a bar. I guess it's a different kind of situation. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, hey, I see a lot of you guys. Like, I'm here most of the time. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really want to get drunk with any of you. But yeah, yeah thanks for the invite. Well, yeah, because you work at a you work at like more of a diner type. Yeah, spot. like a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and in most uh, you know service uh, industry stuff I've had, uh, I tend to get lucky on being like pretty close with my coworkers. Yeah. Um, at least at this one that we had. So it was uh, a lot of fun, bunch of horny singles, horny pollies, <laughs> bunch of shenanigans going on. And then I had just one of the worst hangovers I've had, um, terrible in, in prior history yesterday. I was, uh, literally dead. Like it's the dead. worst. Did you cure it with anything or did you just wait it out? Uh, I had a little, uh, extra of a uh, Herbert's reagent, um, you know, stashed away and, you know, uh, I, I got my own formula for it, so it's more stable. Gotcha. So, so you're not like a greasy food, coffee kind of guy. I know everybody's got, you know, ginger oh, or whatever. Yeah, bacon. Bacon will do oh, it. Bacon's yeah. always, uh, I had a, a cold-pressed juice and bacon. That's uh, typically what I go for. I'm a, I'm a smoothie guy. I like smoothies. and uh, Or um, I didn't have hash browns. I didn't feel like 
retrieving hash browns, I love but hash I did browns. have bacon. Get though. those Trader Joe hash browns, little little patties, put those in the air fryer. Absolutely delicious. The worst hangover I ever had was in college, and I you know lived on campus, and so after like the, the morning of, I go to like you know the cafeteria area to where you can get your like college food, and it was like just mm-hmm. at the end of breakfast, so all of the food was like ice cold, like oh, the worst no. pancakes I've ever had, the worst <laughs> the worst of all of it that I've ever had, and I'm sitting there like trying not to die, uh, eating just an atrocious breakfast. So that was a sad hangover all around, just from every angle. Do you um do you have a booze that you cannot touch anymore because you're scarred from it i don't have mine's captain morgan i just don't um really i i think i've had enough of them that it's not like i get like that you drink it and you're immediately back in that place i'm more of just like i don't like flavored liquor like Mm -hmm. if it's like you know peppermint schnapps or uh you know cotton candy vodka or anything like weird like that if i'm gonna flavor it flavor it with other stuff you know like you're you can flavor a simple syrup or you know stuff like that i'm just not like yeah here's this weird you know raspberry flavored tequila i stuff like that i just know is going to give me a terrible hangover so i try to avoid that kind of stuff yeah, I, I feel that. I'm not a I'm not a fireball person Ugh. as far as like those yeah. kind of things go. But like no. yeah, Captain Morgan, the only uh thing that has ever had uh, caused me to have like legit alcohol poisoning. Oh no. It was bad. Dang. Uh, one of the few times I've uh like completely blacked out that entire evening. It's yeah. become a, a story of, of legend amongst uh, uh oh, no. that it was, bad, huh? <laughs> yeah. It, it was uh it was that bad, but it was also uh one of it was like that was like the, the bonding moment between me and Tyler. Where oh, gotcha. uh, he like had Sharing to war stories now. Yeah, he had to take care of me throughout this perilous night, and uh, yeah, so Terrible. like I literally only have his perspective from that night because it's gone. Dang, so Captain Morgan, if I get a whiff of it, it's that's that's no good. Bad news. Well, bad news. Yeah, but... you the listener, let us know. Write us in. <laughs> What's caused your yeah, worst hangover? What, what is yeah? What is your scarring liquor? Um, you know, and you know. From the events that uh, happened in the movie we're going to be talking about today, wouldn't be surprised if uh, these kids uh, become functional alcoholics as well. I don't know. They're going to have to definitely go into some therapy as we're talking. Don't look under the bed. Let's join in and uh, let's join in Uh, as we're talking. Don't look under the bed. Let's hop on in. Don't Look Under the Bed, released October 9th, 1999. Lots of nines going on, and that was the same month as uh, Mom's Got Day with the Vampires. The so. same month, man. That, heavy they, hitters. Yeah, man, kids, you guys were eating back in 99. <laughs> uh, directed by Kenneth Johnson, who, again, uh, a lot of these uh, DCOM directors would do multiple, and um, he did Xenon Girl of the 21st Century, another iconic one. Um I've heard a lot of people say that is the best the of overall best. DCOMs. I've I've seen that opinion quite a bit. It's not for me. Like, I mean, I like Xenon and the sequel. They're both, I, I think the sequel is actually more fun than the first one, personally. Haven't seen it, so I, I, I can't weigh in, but I'm, I'm curious where this falls in a lot of people's, like, you know, best of list. Also, Cal, if you hear, like, <laughs> I he, mean, he, he is. is sitting next to me. Cal, the podcast dog, <laughs> is just really, really panting up a storm over here. I mean, so. he's just full of, uh, he's full of the holiday spirit. <laughs> what can we say? Uh, this one was written by Mark Edward Edens, score done by Daniel Licht, and I really like the score on this one. Like, yeah. I mean, he's, he's really putting on... Uh, putting in some work here. Uh, cinematography done by Richard M. Rawlings, and this was edited by David Stromer. Uh, no box office, no Rotten Tomatoes, and this has a surprisingly low 
rating of three and a half out of, or not three and a half, three out of five on Letterboxd for the average rating. I'm kind of surprised by that. I am a little surprised too. The Letterboxd, as we like to, uh, like to call it, is the, the voice of the people. And I think the people are uh, wrong about this one. I'm sure we'll get into more of our thoughts, but I think that a lot of people should go into this with a, a little bit more of an open mind. I think so too. And so again, this is one that I kind of wanted to touch on. Uh, it was like uh, one of my picks and this is my official pick for the month. Uh, because so I, I watched it uh, last year and I remember watching it and tweeting about it and being like, oh, my gosh, like this is like a movie movie like the like, yeah, some of the effects are still on the cheap end. But like if they would have thrown like a little more money at this, this could have been a like wide release movie, I think. Yeah. Like this, I feel um, is one of the more cinematic movies of the decom universe because mm-hmm. a lot of them, you know, do kind of still have that made for TV quality to it. And this one just. This one feels like a, a, a an actual movie, um, which I like very much appreciate. Uh, Ken Johnson like really is doing a lot with the direction here. Like, um, there's a lot of personality into this movie um, that that kind of comes through again. That kind of it still has the DNA of the decom formulas and things like that, but it has a personality and has some flavor to it. And uh, and again, yeah, this one is like really scary. Like I remember like the the makeup jobs on on the boogeyman and on Larry uh, in the end of the movie are like quite frightening. And apparently it was supposed to be even uh, more scary. Like they said, um, like mm-hmm. the, the original drawings for the boogeyman were like nightmarish <laughs> and they were like, it was like really dark stuff. So we like, we scaled it back um, with, um, you know, giving him this like Victorian look and like having him uh, speak in the limericks and stuff like that yeah. was uh, to lighten him up. But I mean, he's still pretty damn creepy in this. So. I, I love that their executives were like, okay, he's a little too scary. Why don't we have him speak in rhyme? That'll, that'll, you know, I mean, <laughs> lighten it, the load a little it's bit. It's a little, it's a little tough to be terrifying if you're rhyming all the time. <laughs> like I think, I don't think any villain, no matter how scary they are, can really pull it off. Like even Freddy Krueger rhyming would be like you know funnier i'm sure he's rapped uh, back in the day you know uh back in the the mid 80s i'm sure he was on a commercial I feel or something. Like, yeah i was about to say i feel like it's a commercial because it is shocking that nowhere in the movies does he have a rap scene but i think that would have yeah. been i think the leprechaun is also probably rapped too at some point he did in fact go oh, to yeah, the hood duh, so, he does yeah. rhyme he doesn't always rhyme, but he but he does sometimes. Yeah, and I think the the boogeyman and like the I guess the boogie person kind of look that you you know kind of are transformed with is really freaky. And you can read about like some of the behind the scenes of this movie, but like they were trying to really strike this balance between being like frightening. They definitely wanted to like be scary, but they didn't want to you know terrify kids. And this is one of the few Disney Channel original movies that actually has a like a TV PG rating, um, which is higher than most of the other oh, yeah, the, the other movies. Yeah, and this was also a film that like you know initially aired. And then parents wrote in and they got so many complaints uh, and so many parents were like mad that this movie was as scary as it is. And they like pulled it from the air. Uh, And for a long time, this was movie was a movie that like you could really only like watched digitally or, you know, you had to really seek out. This wasn't one that they aired you know, annually all the time. So this is a film that, you know, because of the Disney Plus era that we're in, um, maybe some more people will rediscover this movie. But I kind of had like a different, like, you know, this was, knowing that this was a movie that only aired a little bit, you know, this was one that wasn't like that hocus pocus Halloween town every single year I'm watching this movie. So it's ingrained into my mind. And instead, this is a movie that, you know, fitting for the subject matter, 
does have this real dreamlike quality in my mind to where like I remembered like bits and pieces of it and imagery and maybe a few moments the kitchen sequence you know stuck out for me for some reason where they're making this you know this goo kind of stuff like and then obviously the look of the the boogie people as they're referred to in this Mm -hmm. you know like obviously uh terrified me the rooftop sequence was a big one yeah Yeah, there's just a, a few flashes of this movie that you know when I would think about this uh film in the past would would come up in mind so it was really nice to have this opportunity to like sit down and actually watch it mm-hmm. and i too was really surprisingly surprised like i think it's got a really strong beginning like the concept of everything is really cool it really is like what is going on you know um i think that there is this dreamlike quality to the movie um there are some effects towards the end of the film that aren't as impressive but then there are some other like practical effects that i think are pretty cool and how they like have these uh, kind of impressive sets with these, mm-hmm. you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids style, like under the bed. Like, what does that look like in this kind of nightmare realm? Uh, I think there's some cool concepts here. I also think it strikes a really good balance of scaring kids, but also being like fun and whimsical enough to not, you know, uh, be too dark or anything like that. Um, so aside for some performances which i'm sure we'll talk about and then some Mm. character stuff which i wasn't as impressed with um i actually really enjoyed this on a rewatch yeah i mean again in in coming back into it like even from watching a year ago i then forgot like whenever they start talking about you know the the bone cancer stuff i'm like oh yeah yeah, this is and this is a big plot point in in the movie i forgot that it wasn't just like because i remember it but i was like oh yeah was it a piece and it's like no 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 like kids got leukemia and everything it's It's like holy shit a centerpiece (laughs) of a thing so it's like you know and decoms kind of had like those two tiers i would say like there were like the ones that were like you know, strictly very friendly, accessible, like generally lighter. But then they would hit you with these ones where there's like some real stakes to it, you know, and like real, uh, some more serious elements because again, like even though these are for kids, like they're, they're not shying away from showing, you know, some of the horrors of reality. And, and I love the way that you were kind of describing, uh, like your, your experience with it, that you like kind of remembered pieces of this movie and certain images and, and and I felt like kind of the same way, and it and it goes so perfectly with um you know kind of some of the stuff that they set up with the way that your memories work yeah as you start to get older totally like, you know we've had it a couple times where we're you know talking these movies and we kind of like unlock a random memory that you yeah. haven't thought about in years and right like that's kind of how it is when it's like oh yeah like I I did have an imaginary friend and like whatever did you have an imaginary friend i didn't i didn't have an imaginary friend i had like a few stuffed animals that i like kind of what's the word? like anthropomorphized i think is the word or like i had some uh dog stuffed animals that i you know acted like were real dogs or something like that but i never had like you know this is my friend zippy and my you know it's like this whatever like i, I never really had anything uh quite like that i think my sister might have um, but no, I, I didn't have the luxury of having an imaginary friend. Mm. I, I didn't either, but I talked to myself. Oh, I still loud. do that. Yeah. But, that. And I, <laughs> yeah. And I do still do that also. Um, yeah. luckily, I mean, at least I can talk to Cal now, but, yeah. but like before I would just kind of generally just like kind of talk out loud, like, yeah. I, but I would do it like a lot. Oh yeah. Um, I, yeah but yeah, it was never to anybody. It was just kind of, 
I don't know. Talking to the the universe, maybe? No, <laughs> I, I still definitely do that. And if that's considered an imaginary friend or a mental illness, I'm not quite sure of the difference. But <laughs> no, I still do that or, you know, talk to the talk to the imaginary podcast audience. But thankfully, you know, I have a real audience that I can talk to now. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and again, we got uh, we got some real things going on in this movie. So uh, you want to hit them with a 60 second synopsis, Garrett? Let's go ahead and do it. All right, I got you with 60 seconds on the clock in three, two, one, go. Okay, we're going to the small town of Middlesville, I believe is what it's called, uh, to where we have uh, a young woman who wakes up in the middle of the night. It's like 5 o'clock or 4.30 in the morning, and this weird phenomenons are happening all throughout the town. Uh, and young Francis meets this imaginary friend who's kind of like this weird, clowny, kind of jokery type. Uh, his name is Larry Houdini. Um, he starts causing all this mayhem throughout the town. He's surprised that she can even see him. They start interacting, and you uncover the mystery of this mysterious boogeyman that some of these imaginary friends know of or fear fearful of, fearful of maybe even turning into, and this whole town divulges into chaos while this boogeyman as well as Larry and Francis try to navigate this nightmarish dream world of fantasy and Dutch angles and purple and goo. <laughs> Half this movie is a Dutch angle, which I, which we're going to talk about. So many I, Dutch angles would make Kenneth Branagh blush. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that because there's actual like purposes with it too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you covered a majority of it, except I'll say there was one egregious error because Larry was not causing the shenanigans. He was being framed for said shenanigans. He was causing some shenanigans. He no. was in the kitchen, st- well, you know, uh, doing well, some yes, stuff, and but, he was getting Francis as as in like, trouble. Uh, but as far as like the phenomenons go, right? But he's in the library and he's doing he's not, flips, and you he's know, he's doing a different type of shenanigans. Different, he's doing yeah. like concentrated shenanigans <laughs> uh, versus uh, the the mayhem. Of uh, the of the boogie person, you know, causing. It's causing another word for a podcast: concentrated shenanigans. <laughs> concentrated shenanigans, for sure. Um, it, it reminds me of a dynamic banter with Stephen Mike. Ooh, that's a good that podcast one. name. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, there's there's quite a lot going on as far as like yeah, we got uh, we got some mystery elements to it. Uh, we got like a small town drama as this like all these events are like affecting the neighborhood and yeah. the way that uh, the school is reacting to uh, to this family. Um, and so you got that, you got the supernatural elements to it. Um, I guess you would call this a monster movie, a boogeyman, a boogie person would be a monster. Yeah. Um, and they're presented very fiendishly in this one too. So, so we got monster movie elements to it. So, uh, what are uh, some subgenres you want to start on? Um, I think that this movie plays with like fantasy in an interesting way. Uh, but more importantly, I think that this movie has a surprising level of lore to it, almost kind of folklore mm-hmm. folk tale kind of situation. You've obviously got like the bedtime story sort of element of a boogeyman. That's something that's obviously a theme in a lot of different movies. But as this movie goes on, you learn that there's kind of this lore with these imaginary friends and how children believing them in them or not believing in them kind of affects them uh, in a weird kind of like santa claus sort of way to where their power is you know either diminished or emboldened by you know the the spirit of these kids and their in their beliefs but i yeah i think that that was a surprising angle that i knew about that i you know kind of discovered from this movie and it was interesting again like kind of having like 
puzzle pieces. You know, I had the corners in the puzzles, but the watching it kind of filled in the middle a little bit. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's why they're in the kitchen cooking up stuff. Okay, that's why he transforms into the into the monster. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that there's definitely like a surprising folklore sort of element to the film. There is a surprising amount of like folk horror elements to it um you know as far as like the urban legend like type of thing and and it's cool that they're doing that in one it's like kind of a mythology not explored all that often in films like as far as you know there's a that the that shitty boogeyman movie that came out in like 2005 a movie that i haven't seen but uh was one of those like horror movies that I went and saw at my local video store, saw the cover of, and was like, ugh, you know? Yeah, it, did have, <laughs> it, did, it does have a creepy cover. Um, but, you know, but we really don't have this explored too much, so it's like kind of giving kids their own, like, little uh, monster mythology to have. <clears throat> um, their own, like, little monster mythology to have. And then, um, and then on top of that, and then there's, like, these elements, you know, that they're uh, having conversations about logic and belief, and you could kind of look at it almost as like them doing a religion movie without being religious, mm-hmm. you know, in in a way, um, because obviously, you know, they're not trying to be too, too particular with things. But I think this is like um, one of the more ones where you could kind of have that. But I like that it's not, though, also like I like it's all it, they it kind of deals with religion the way I kind of look at religion. Like, I, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist because I believe there's an energy, there's a something, but like. As an agnostic, like I kind of very much was intrigued by the conversations that they're having with saying that, like, you know, uh, science and, um, you know, intuition and belief don't have to be like separate. Like they can be uh, interlinked in an interesting way. And like that's a pretty high concept for for a kids movie, you know, especially a Disney Channel original movie. There's also that. And then, as you had mentioned, this idea of like fear and like mortality and there's a a subplot to where uh francis who's the the you know the lead character in the film her younger brother had leukemia when he was younger and she wasn't eligible to be able to donate her own bone marrow to her brother and said like the middle child was uh was uh, able to uh, mm-hmm. or maybe the older brother no he's I, he's older he's she's the middle one yeah so the older brother her other brother doesn't matter but her other brother was able to donate the bone marrow and that she kind of felt this relief because mm-hmm. she wasn't able to that like that was a really scary for her, you know scary thing for her to maybe have been involved in but then this you know sense of guilt of like was I not willing to sacrifice myself to like save my brother? You know, and like that's, that's kind of like it's it's pretty fucking dark. <laughs> it's complex emotions to be like, you know, interrogating in yeah. this kid's movie. Like, yeah. you know, like uh, the sense of feeling guilty, being relieved uh, over that subject. Like, yeah, it is it, it is truly wild. And in and in the way that they like kind of tie it in with, again, like while this was all happening and he was sick. Um, she basically, you know, stopped believing in her imaginary friend because she said, you know, I need to be grown up. I need yeah. to be mature for this situation. So that's like what led her to stop believing in hers and yeah. then convincing him to stop believing in uh, his imaginary friend as well. Yeah. Uh, which then, you know, leads to the events that when a uh, imaginary friend isn't believed in anymore, they turn into a boogie person. Yeah. Uh, it's like almost like an angels and demons like kind of thing in a way. Um, but then, uh, but yeah, the, the way that they tie all that in together and, um, it's something that, you know, certain 
certain people will catch. Um, I don't know how many kids are catching this, but mm-hmm. so um, all three of the kids are named after famous scientists and philosophers. Uh, okay. You got the oldest, which is Bert, Albert, uh, after Albert Einstein. Uh, you got the youngest, who is Darwin, who obviously Darwin. Yes. And then uh, Francis, uh, her middle name is Bacon, because after the uh, philosopher Sir Francis Bacon, whose main, um, his like main thing, his like main, what he's famous for was um, the study of knowledge. And that comes from the study of nature and surroundings and inductive reasoning. So basically the basis for anthropology, which yeah. their mom is a famous anthropologist. Yeah, and even Larry Houdini like kind of pokes fun at her for like her name mm-hmm. and kind of like and also the writer of the movie too, and like in kind of a meta way that he's like, It's a little on the nose, isn't yeah. it? You know? <laughs> oh yeah, with yeah. the the whole prank and they allow people mentioning like I remember at the beginning, whenever she like said her full name, I was like I was like, your middle name's Bacon, and also, why are you telling us this? And then I was like, oh, I was like, oh, okay. Then, uh, so again, like another layer of like kind of all the the these heady ideas that they're sneaking yeah. into this kids' movie. Not um, just like heady ideas, but this like we've talked about it a lot in this month of these movies that you know obviously have withstood the test of time to some degree that we're people still enjoy these movies and talk about them, but this this idea of like these Disney Channel original movies in this era didn't have to put in this much effort they didn't have to go as hard no. as they as they no, did you know they never and, did. and something like this you know it's a small detail but i think it contributes to a movie that makes it feel more cinematic and doesn't talk down to kids in fact like doesn't run away from these these you know potentially scary ideas and then you know instead like runs towards them and talks about it's okay to feel scared as a kid but also and it's you know it's okay to want to feel like you can grow up or want to feel like that you're looking forward to having independence and maturity and being an adult but don't run into that you know like you're still a kid enjoy that sense of imagination Mm -hmm. and creativity that you have you know still live in that don't grow up too fast kind of idea it's funny that it says that but reinforces it with like don't grow up too fast or you're going to be taken to a fucking nightmare dimension and haunted by this like elvish right. kind of demon man yeah, you know yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very fine line you gotta walk uh, between how fast you're growing up uh you know what you want to believe in and, yeah and i like that um you know there's a moment where they like kind of the way that they address it you know with uh the concept of like you know um when they're like revealing that you know she convinced him to stop believing in his imaginary friend and there and this theory of that you can have both in a way mm-hmm. is again very much the way that I kind of look at faith that it's like hey it's okay to acknowledge something that may or may not be real you might not know it might not have an answer but you know people kind of need that you know to be yeah. able to be able to get through their day to be able to get through you know tough times if you need to believe in something then then you can and yeah. that's okay so it's like that's why I'm not a I'm not an atheist to like talks down on people that are religious, you know, cause I'm like, sure. I get why people have it, you know, yeah. you need faith, um, you know, in some way, in some fashion. So I like the idea of like him basically, you know, and he even relates it back to science. He's like, he's like electricity, gravity. You can't see those things, but you know, you think you have more scientific evidence of it. He goes, so again, like, Hey, like it's okay that like this was a tough situation and like, and you know, Darwin might've needed, you know, he needed that, support that larry you know uh provided in a, yeah. in a in a specific way that his you know his uh siblings or parents couldn't provide so mm-hmm. uh, again a big a very heady idea but also uh still balanced uh to a degree with like you know with the cartoonish whimsy 
of the film as well. Because, I mean, again, this is still a decom. This is still like a live action cartoon, you know, even played up to the, you know, 10th degree since it's, you know, so uh, based on fantasy. Yeah. Ty Hodges is the reason a lot of that is element to, uh, an element of this movie, because he kind of has this cartoonish Jim Carrey ish, which we'll play into my movie math later, but like kind of uh, energy towards him to where he is just, you know, bouncing off the wall and, uh, and just really this constant sense of, you know, if he's an embodiment of that childhood whimsy, I think, uh, Ty does a really good job of personifying that, uh, and that he comes in and reminds our lead here of the, you know, the, the, the magic of childhood in a way, but he has so much energy, so much so that some might, you know, be a little annoyed by him. Um, but I think that's also kind of the point too, is that he's supposed to be kind of annoying, like a, a bit of a mm-hmm. nuisance, but he really is bouncing off of the wall uh in a really uh interesting way in the movie oh yeah he 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 is like you know just like his charisma is just through the roof like it's non-stop it doesn't run out and he has like a he he has like a bugs bunny energy to him you know like he can be serious and knows when to be and like and knows when to be useful and like you know but then also he just like kind of can't turn it off though either and uh and which i do love i think um with this movie, people fall into two camps. It's either A, you were annoyed by Larry Houdini, or B, you had a crush on Larry Houdini. <laughs> I was in the latter camp, of course. Um, you know, when it, you know, I remember being a kid and seeing him in the suit, and I was like, oh, I was like, I, 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 yeah. I like this guy. He's got a, he's got good energy to him. And uh, it, it's kind of shocking that, um, you know, he is still like a working actor and director today, but um, it's kind of surprising that like, you know, this wasn't, you know, nobody saw this and like said like, hey, this kid is like this actor. He's like really got something. Um, I mean, he would go on to play um, Larry Beal and even Stevens, um, at which he was uh, the antagonist to um, Chrissy Carlson, Romano's character. And um, again, and his name is Larry, too. And this is Disney. So I don't know what they're trying to do here with uh, this uh, shared universe between even Stevens and don't look under the bed yeah I'm surprised that he didn't you know really take off because he's he's somebody that does seem to have such such high energy to him in a way that like you're right that you're like oh man he didn't really appear appear in like that many more things because there are some other actors here that you know uh are are far more recognizable the the dad uh, is played by steven uh, tobolowski who is like a character actor um if you you know uh, are not familiar with him he's the guy in groundhog day uh, groundhog day that goes ned <laughs> uh and you know uh, gets uh the steps in the the puddle and everything in the movie so um, well, he doesn't step in the puddle. Bill Murray steps in, steps in the puddle. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. That mm-hmm. guy. Uh, he's also in Memento. But yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that Ty didn't, you know, go on to to bigger things or to be kind of like a household name, you know, even within like the Disney Channel kind of area. Yeah, like he wasn't exactly. in like a sitcom or anything. Not really. OK, well, like, yeah, he like he has main character energy. Let's yeah. be real. And yeah. the fact that he, um, you know, he got a little uh, recurring role uh, is is a shame damn shame but um yeah but speaking of the dad um because yeah he is he's popped up in quite a lot of things and i think uh that's one thing that we've been uh talking about in you know each of these films is uh the different family dynamics that Mm -hmm. they present throughout the different films Mm -hmm. and uh this one might be it's very interesting because they are kind of um shown shown to be like you know like very tight-knit and very 
uh, they're they're a very loving, supportive family with the typical stuff like you know the siblings bicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we have um you know Disney Channel did love uh the middle child as their protagonist. That yeah. was kind of a recurring thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have all those things. But then it's kind of showing, you know, as, you know, the events of these movies kind of go on, it's like kind of showing you that like, hey, even this family that like on the surface kind of seems like a very nice, perfect family, they have their issues too, you know, and they kind of have these moments where they're, you know, questioning the trust within the family Mm -hmm. and uh, you have... Uh, scenes of the parents questioning themselves if they've like been good parents and if they've like made good decisions yeah um you know there again there's uh some very like complex fi- family dynamic stuff going on even though it's kind of on the surface looks uh maybe a little stereotypical yeah i think some of the things that maybe haven't quite aged as well is the the film's kind of uh the, the way it's just kind of puts on display of like uh, psychiatric help uh, there's like a, a guidance counselor in the movie who's like maybe overextending her reach a, a little a bit a guidance counselor would never go to someone's house for dinner like yeah that is that is so yeah yeah they think they think that francis is kind of like losing it in a way so they they bring this guidance counselor who's like trying to be a therapist uh it's like again kind of overextending her reach that's not really the job of a guidance counselor but like they invite her over to dinner and she's like trying to psychoanalyze this this daughter while she's doing it and the movie kind of pokes fun at her for a few times of like she has these theories that aren't even close to being true and, and things like that so you know it, it's definitely of its time in a weird way but uh you know all that just kind of contributes to what you were talking about these parents are just like not really sure like what to do about this situation these crazy things are happening they have no you know they have nowhere to turn other than assuming that their daughter's you know losing her mind um but uh yeah i i, I think that there's a surprising level of of nuance in this family that uh is less tropey than some of the other decoms are to where it's not just like another divorced family or something like that which is kind of refreshing yeah and it, it, again it's like it's very interesting that they you know do this thing like it because yeah it, it doesn't look the best on the way that you know now we are examining mental health mm-hmm. in in film but it does do a thing to where it kind of shows this contrast that again if this was somebody like under the guise of like religious fanaticism they wouldn't be uh, as indicted as much as francis is in this mm-hmm. movie but because you know it's just like uh, she's talking about you know uh, you know so many other things then that's when they're like oh no no this is crazy but like if somebody was doing this and they were saying like you know saying jesus told them this or this they'd like they would be so much more sensitive about it mm-hmm. than they do treat francis so it's like a, it's a weird contrast again so it's like um i don't know if there were like any kind of religious uh statements in mind making this film but i don't know i'm, I'm kind of seeing seeing a couple of them which i i do find interesting um, uh, it was curious on one because if they wouldn't have made a joke about it, it would have been fine. But because mm-hmm. I liked uh, throughout the movie that the dad is presented to be like the traditional like housewife, yeah. essentially like he's the he cooks, he cleans all the things, mm-hmm. and they never like draw any attention to it. And they like and they also like don't make him like uh, a feminine or anything, like, yeah, like in a cartoonish way. Sure. Um, but then there is like one joke from Larry whenever he's like, 
uh, he's like, wait, your dad vacuums? And then she's like, yeah, he enjoys it. And he's like, man, I really am going crazy. And I was yeah. like, okay, you like didn't need like the cheesy joke because it was already like kind of a, a, a nice, like just like little nod throughout the movie that they were just like, oh yeah, hey, this is cool. And like, it's whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the kind of progressive in a way I would be totally fine with being a housewife. That sounds excellent to me. It's kind of my dream. Yeah. I hope I, I tell people that all the time. Yeah. If I could be a housewife and take care of the kids write movies on the side and just like do all those things Shit. yeah i will cook and clean Sign me up. i'm pretty good at cooking and i'm uh, average at cleaning so i can improve my skills that sounds excellent hey yeah. if there's if there's a website for sugar babies and sugar mamas and stuff there's got to be something for trophy trophy wives and trophy husbands yeah hopefully i can deliver but yeah i cross my fingers and every night before i go to bed i, I pray that somebody will sweep me off of my feet <laughs> <laughs> I'll be able to live my like simple cottage core life. Hey, I'll be I'm looking out for famed anthropologists as we speak right now. Um, but, but I love how he is also a doctor, but also a doctor in waste in trash uh, in waste management. Yeah, it's uh, very funny. Yeah, it sounds like a trash man or like a, a like a garbage man or something like that. Uh, yeah, I caught that line too, and I was like, I don't really know what or that was means. That, or was that a dad joke saying he has a P- PhD in waste management? Was that him trying to it was make- like a poop joke? Uh, or I was going to say, like, if he was a trash man, he was trying to, like, make it sound more, like, intellectual, like, since he has this, like, famous, like, yeah. uh, famous, like, scientific wife. No so, idea. No, no idea. idea. Yeah. Uh, the, the parents and the siblings in this movie, I think, sort of get a, a little shortchanged, um, which I think was a, a bit of an issue with me, as I think Francis is the the lead in this movie isn't quite as layered or the layers with her character are kind of introduced kind of later uh, to where she's like Mm -hmm. talked about her, her fear with her brother uh, and the leukemia and all that stuff we've already discussed. But I think Francis throughout most of the movie is just kind of the variation of the same thing. Like a lot of the scenes in this movie are like just a similar, like Larry's doing some sort of hijinks. Francis is like wagging her finger at him. And then, you know, she's like, I'm not crazy. There's somebody here. You guys can't see him. She catches on like a little too late to where the movie's like well over half finished. And she's yeah. like just mm-hmm. now realizing that like nobody else is able to to see this person. And she's still just kind of like, what? It and, takes yeah. her way too long to yeah. get on board with this because, yeah, yeah that that there the movie does spend. You know, to its detriment, a lot of time in the first half setting up the the world building and this yeah. mystery angle, and it's very effective in that too. Mm-hmm. It's just weird that again, like, oh, now you want to bring in, uh, you know, brother with leukemia stuff at the yeah. you know forty minute mark, yeah, and now you want to throw that in and start working on that, you know, with that character. So right. yeah, it, it it doesn't feel like. Um, you know, cause I've seen people say that, you know, there's movies about people and there's movies about ideas and like, you can obviously have movies that are both, but I guess, you know, traditionally they may lean into one camp or the other. Mm-hmm. And this one kind of feels like maybe it couldn't decide. Um, cause I, I do feel like it leans, you know, stronger into the ideas and world building section, you know, with like the fantasy and, and stuff and and so, you know, if it, if something was going to get shortchanged, I guess that's where it's going to happen would yeah. be the supporting characters. But you can't shortchange the supporting characters if they're important to the plot. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's kind of the only 
you know, they're mostly just affecting the plot and less of like the journey with, with Francis here. Mm -hmm. The little brother has like kind of a, a little baby arc, you know, towards the end of the movie to where he like realizes the importance of childhood imagination. And he's you like know. barely a character in the first half. Yeah. Like he's just like around to like say like little one liner quips. Yeah. Little Disney Channel little brother kind of funny things, you up. know? Yeah. Uh, but he gets, you know, he gets tied up on the railroad tracks at the end of the movie and they have to like go rescue him. In this cool area, I will admit, like them going under the bed and going to this like belly of the beast, like nightmare dimension is really cool. Um, the the set is uh, like just kind of things that you would put under your bed or just toss under your bed mm -hmm. when you're a kid. But they're like now gigantic mm -hmm. and they're driving around in like this little uh, like little, you know, Hot Wheels kind of matchbox car that you would like, you know, pull back and let go and it drives and, you know, they're they're driving this while they have like this kind of ghostbustery sort of extension cord, you know, machine that's going to shock the boogeyman and all that kind of stuff. It's very whimsical and silly and I, I think that it, it goes a long way to make this movie a little bit more palatable for kids. Um, but yeah, I think the, the other than this kind of sleight of hand look over here kind of trick, if that wasn't as successful successful as it is i think this movie would be a little lacking for me because i just don't think the characters mm -hmm. are as interesting or are even as enjoyable to be around as opposed to like the characters and like mom's got a date with a vampire like i enjoyed their company far more than francis i found her kind of a little annoying i'm like yeah he's he's a he's an imaginary friend from another dimension get with the program you know right. <laughs> yeah yeah no 100 she she could get on board faster and again like they and not saying that I don't appreciate the attempts of them, um, you know, bringing in these big ideas with the little brother storyline, but they didn't have to have as, you know, big and serious of a story to like get to this, you know, third act climax in the dream world. Like, okay, totally. if we want to, if we want to have fun in the dream world, then like, let's, we can get to that another way. So let's spend this middle portion. Like if you're not going to go into the characters, let's, you know, spend more time doing the stuff that is really strong about this is, is the dream elements, you know, the, the, present, totally. the presentation of the film, you know, is uh, so, is so interesting. Like, again, we, we mentioned the Dutch angles and they come in every time something with the imaginary friend starts happening. Mm -hmm. uh, Larry is never shot like squared up in the in the movie not once yeah. the entire movie he is always like if he is on screen the the uh cameras in Dutch cue, angle yeah. and, and there there's even uh there was one really cool fucking shot like really cool it's um again like it was right before we're about to finally go under the bed which again i like that they saved uh us going under the bed you know as the title would imply until the end of the movie, you know, we get a nice build up of like, hey, what's this dream world gonna be like? And they and they live up to the hype when they do it. But yeah. The introduction shot, it's uh, it's when Darwin's sitting on his bed and he's reading, and we like see, you know, the lights and the fog start coming out from under the mm -hmm. under the bed. And as the fog starts coming out, you see the camera go from straight to sl tilted yeah. on the Dutch camera, yeah. uh, on the Dutch angle, and it was so fucking cool. I was yeah. like, damn. It's like a, as opposed to like Jaws, where you have like the dud, and you know, like this is this movie's way of kind of <clears throat> alerting the audience that something is amiss or something is 
you know, mysterious and, and magical and mystical is going to happen, uh, which John Williams to a Dutch angle. I don't know. It's, it is a Disney Channel movie. So, again, it's like a, there's an effort there of like, let's, you know, make I mean, it a little strange and odd. You I mean, know? again, it's like one of those things of like things they didn't have to do. Like, yeah. you know, uh, like you really think the director was like, oh, yeah, these kids really going to notice these visual <laughs> cues that I'm putting in. You yeah. know, like they're, they're not seeing that, but right. we appreciate it. And I thank you again. You're 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 going the extra the extra mile here. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, the color palettes are really great, too, across the board. Like, yeah, very purple. Lots of purples, lots of pinks. Um, the, the, the use of the fogs and stuff. But then I also like the, um, you know, we do have some very cheap CGI here and there. And yeah, and the, and the quality varies. You know, there's a few times where I was like, hey, that's actually a pretty decent CGI yeah, there, shot. There, there's one shot where Larry is like looking at his hand as he's like morphing into the, the boogeyman and his fingernails are growing, which mm-hmm. is like a CG comp shot. And it's it's not, it's noticeable, but it's not terrible. There's some shots of them in the, the little matchbox car in the dream world that are just not really comped very well. No. It's not CG, but it's like, it's just yeah there's a the comping the colors are not right and the gray levels are not right and it it looks very obvious but yeah there's uh i i think there's more just kind of some fun practical elements like some very vibrant goo which was another kind of element of this movie that like stood out to me it's got mm-hmm. like uh, uh some power rangers energy to uh, to it for sure um but yeah i think the 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 thing visually that impressed me the most the most was this dream world kind of set i thought it was like a really cool uh, way to introduce this, you know, because it could have just been like a dark, creepy lair or something or a cave. But I like I like that it was like, no, let's make the under your bed like the yeah, like and, and, and the things that are in there are the things that'd be under a bed. It's like, yeah. oh, there's a paper clip. There's yeah. a random battery of lint or whatever, socks. you know, yeah, exactly. Socks, yeah. there's lint, you know. So, of course, you know, you have those things. And and uh, there there's like one shot um whenever it's like transitioning of like Francis getting sucked in from under the bed and it, like yeah. morphs into a into a cliff. That was actually pretty well done. But yeah. then, uh, but like you said, there are also some really fun, like practical bits where like, um, like, uh, Larry, he's inside the, the pot of goo and then he like comes out, you know, and they even, they even do it like magic trick style where it's like, oh yeah, you know, he's underneath like the table, but then they like, oh no, look, we open the cabinet and show you it's not, and, you know, to, to really sell the effect. Yeah. There's um, a, a funny line too, when they're in this dream world where, um, uh, Fran is like, God, this place is huge. And Larry's like, yeah, imagine if you had a queen size bed, you know, like, so the, I thought that that was <laughs> a funny little bit too. also kind of contributing to some of the lore too, that like everybody in every bed has their own kind of like nightmare realm under it, which is pretty fucking scary, you know? Right. And then, it, then, and then not them teasing us with a sequel at the end. Because I know. They're like, Hey, people this everywhere, city is happening. people yeah. up, everywhere have imaginary friends. They have boogie people. Yeah. I also love thing. how like easily convinced the parents are because they you, they do mention like the so the parents suspect that their daughter is causing all of this mayhem the entire movie and then at the very end they're like oh this is happening i think it is in centersville uh and so they're like oh this this you know can't possibly be our daughter because this is happening somewhere else too and i'm like what about the stuff that's like in your kitchen and like in <laughs> your house like how do you explain shit like that like it i guess her parents are also a little difficult to persuade to <laughs> like as is the daughter but whatever i would have liked to have seen a sequel that would have been really cool i mean it was all there we had you know zoe being um you know, revealed to the the boogie person is revealed to be Zoe, uh, which they do like throw you off because they present the boogie person like a dude, yep. like a boogeyman. 
Um, and then they're like, aha, we gotcha. It's actually a woman. Yeah. Um, I do like the twist, though, that it, like, it, it used to. I forgot to, about it. Yeah, because like she says earlier in the movie that she never had an imaginary friend. Uh, but I like that this this you know boogeyman that's been haunting the entire movie was like her former imaginary friend like i think that that's really cool i must have missed it though and maybe maybe you caught it but like do we ever quite learn why she is able to see larry like do, uh, like because that's something that's questioned early on in the movie because the reason that we can't see like you know these these imaginary friends is like we don't believe in them anymore um, but I was still unsure as to why she is able to see Larry in the first place. Like, you know, what kicks that off? Yeah. Um, yeah, they don't really explain it because, um, you know, it is also still kind of ominous in the way that they like talk about, like, who sent Larry? They just keep saying the voice in his head. Yeah, God, obviously. Um, but like. Um, but they never explain that. And then they also I get the the thing that I was thinking is because she is. You know, there's a lot of details about her character that, like, she's, like, on the fringe, you know, like, she is, you know, she is maturing and, yeah. you know, and... Strange and unusual, one might say. Yes, and, and um, you know, she is maturing and, and she had to mature a little bit faster, you know, through this traumatic event. So, it's like she's, you know, still, you know, she's still beyond her years. They even do the, oh, she skipped a grade, so now she's in high school instead yeah. of middle school. So, like, again, like, you know, focusing on this angle of... Um, you know, accelerated aging to a degree. So maybe it's just because, like, even though, like, everything in this movie is telling you how mature she is, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like she is still, like, it's like a in front. Her yeah, she yeah, it's it's a front. Like she still believes in these things. She still has adolescent thoughts in her mind. Um, you know, no matter how much she portrays it to other people or the way mm -hmm. that other people perceive her. Yeah, yeah, I, I I do like that idea that and you know that denying that part of yourself and that that I, th I think it is a pretty universal thing as you're a kid and even into your like you know your early adulthood like you know either your your late teens early 20s this kind of desire to want to get older and to want to have more of these responsibilities I, I feel like you definitely feel it when you're this age when you're like 15 16 14 where you're like you know just before you get your license or right when you get your license this you know wanting to be older you're like so close to being an adult and just like wanting to get there mm -hmm. this idea of like well with that comes a shit ton of responsibility so like maybe you know uh slow your roll a little bit so i do feel that that's like a pretty good reason as to why she's able to see this is she's like still so you know so longing to have this adulthood but it's like you're 14 you know take it easy exactly and i feel like again like that's where certain movies like this come into play because you know this is a theme that disney touches on in many of their films i think that is you know part of their mission into why they you know made the tv series they did why they made all these original movies is yeah. to you know like you know show kids you know like to like kind of help them along to be like hey like remember like you know, you want to maintain this, you know, this innocence as long as you can, you know, like, yeah. and, and the, the, and like, you know, being an adult, it's not uh, exactly what's cracked up to be like, you know, you think it's this, but in reality, it's this, you know, so it's like, they kind of, again, like have these like little steps, you know, and this is that movie for, like you said, like for like 12, 13 year olds, it's like, yes, you are getting older, you are maturing, but like you said, like, you're not, you're not shit yet. You're still not shit. It's all good. And it's all good, you know, yeah. keep that, uh, keep that energy essentially. Um, it, you know, and they even, you know, very spell it out at the end of the movie when Larry at the end says, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have to be old. 
um, kind of the, you know, age is a number, it's a yeah. mindset type of thing, uh, which is nice. I like, a, you know, a, even if they did have to say it out loud, um, there there's a lot going on. So uh, if they're going to spell anything out, it should be, you know, the, the kind of main theme for, for the movie itself. Yeah. And also the last lines to the movie are, I guess it takes a lot of imagination to become a grown up. Uh, and then Francis replies, it sure does, kiddo. <laughs> it sure does. So. On um on your rewatch of this one, um, how were you feeling out of um out of five? Let's see, we had five, all the so what were all the pranks? We all the pranks we had. So we had the alarm clock prank, uh, cups of lockers, uh, yeah, big pots of goo, big, pots of goo. There also, we go. an enormous pot, like the biggest sauce pot you've ever seen. That thing was like the size of my torso. Oh yeah, that's like a gumbo size pot. Oh, I could mm-hmm. use one. Oh man, that sounds good. A little shrimp boil right now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Um, for me, I you know this was. A, a very odd experience. One of those movies that is one of those rare itches that you can scratch to where you're like, I've seen this, but I haven't seen it since I was like single digits, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's been a very long time. So to kind of fill in the gaps in my mind, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I think that if, you know, uh, if, if, if you haven't seen this movie and you are a horror fan, this isn't one that it's like, yeah, you can watch, but it's a Disney movie. Like, take it easy. I'm like, no, you could really enjoy this. Like, this is this is a lot of fun. If you have a younger, like, nephew or niece or something like that, and you're wanting to maybe soft launch the horror genre to them, I think this is a great place to start. So for me, I'm at, like, a crisp uh, four out of five uh, sauce pots, a little goo, little goo pots, you know? Oh, I'm I'm right there with you at a, at a crisp four out of five. Um, because, again, this is, like, the most cinematic, most movie movie of any of the DCOMs, in my opinion. And uh, because, again, like there are just some some big concepts, um, you know, while I was taking my notes, I wasn't expecting to be uh, getting into my agnostic theories, uh, <laughs> talking Disney Channel original movies. But here we are, you know, um, because, again, uh, the, the movie uh, doesn't, you know, hold kids hands. Um, you know, it very much is, you know, but is a, a voice in your head to guide you, if you will. Yeah. And um, I like the way that the movie, you know, fuses that with, um, you know, a nice visual aesthetic. We got some fun camera movements. The the score, um, is very uh Danny Elfman esque with a super kind of yeah super whimsical. Give that yeah very very whimsical, but then also like kind of having some of these like really dark you know turns to it as well. Like, um. Oh man, there's a there's a specific score. It sounds a lot like, and I oh it oh, we're gonna get into a movie math. Holy <laughs> shit, that's actually hilarious too. Because I was thinking of uh, the score for one of your movies. Ooh. Um. But um. But yeah, this uh has a, a lot of really great things. Some of the performances could have been a little bit better. Um. Some of the supporting characters could have been fleshed out a little bit more. But uh, at the end of the day, um, this is a lot more than you would expect. Um, from this movie. And the things that it pulls off on, you know, it's low budget and, you know, constraints, uh, creative constraints of being a kid's movie um, is just pulled off really well. And this is a, yeah, crisp four out of five for me, too. Yeah. Uh, but while we were watching this movie, we've already kind of uh, hinted at some of the films that uh, reminded us of this movie, this very dreamy film. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into our next segment. So here on the Spectre Cinema Club, we like to end all of our episodes playing a little game called Movie Math. Uh, All you have to do is just add a few movies together. You can do that or divide, subtract, uh, multiply, whatever you want to do, whatever math equation you want to come up with, uh, all of which has to equal the movie that we discussed today. So Devon, what's in your equation? 
All right. So I'm excited to get into both of our equations because uh, I think we got some uh, pretty spot on math going on here. So for mine, um, I have two movies in parentheses. We have Drop Dead Fred, which is a slightly grown up version of uh, some of the similar things about, um, you know, this adult is going through some changes in her life. And mm-hmm. then, you know, to kind of cope with some of these changes, she starts seeing her old imaginary friend again, reminds her about, you know, inner innocence and, you know, being a kid again and all those things. But it's a it's a very like pretty serious drama too. Like it balances um, the the light and dark tones very well. Um, where again, she's like dealing with some like really serious issues. But then uh, the titular uh, Fred is just like a super cartoon uh, character, like to the max. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so you got that. And then a movie that I used to get mixed up with, Don't Look Under the Bed, is uh, Little Monsters, mm-hmm. um, uh, how, starring Howie Mandel. Um, in, in TikTok really, Zone, in, Howie in, Mandel. In some really great uh, monster makeup. And uh, <laughs> and it's uh, about this, like, uh, it, it kind of goes for the lore aspect that uh, this film does because, like, there's this whole world under the bed, mm-hmm. um, this, like, society of monsters. And, like, oh, no, it's, like, kind of got a Monster Zinc vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so if you combine those elements, um, you kind of get a lot of the story beats and then I'll multiply that by a nightmare on Elm street for, you know, aesthetic choices and the dream like fantasy yeah. qualities. I would say, um, maybe even, uh, uh, nightmare two just for the aspect of like, um, cause you have, you know, Larry becoming, um, a boogie person himself, you know, due to, um, uh, differences in belief yeah um so that kind of ties into to freddy krueger a little bit and then you know again some of the some of the visual uh cues in there a lot of uh elm street inspo there i think yeah i think you and i went in some similar directions uh for my first i have in parentheses donnie darko um which i think also has this very dreamy quality to it also has these kind of neighborhood hijinks and pranks happening, but nobody really knows why. Some of these things are like even really over the top too. Um, and there's some supernatural elements to that, obviously. Um, I'm multiplying that by monkey bone um, for like aesthetic reasons for sure, mm-hmm. but also this idea of having this imaginary, you know, thing that was in your head is now, you know, in real life in front of you. And then also going to this like nightmare realm kind of place, but it's mm-hmm. also like childish and whimsical in a way of like monkey bone. Uh, Brendan Fraser goes to this like, it's like a carnival, like this weird kind of, you know, there's merry-go-rounds and uh, this like total weirdo place. That's such a strange movie. Also I a big childhood love movie that for movie. me. Yeah. Uh, I'm waiting for the moment we can squeeze it into the podcast because well, it's going to happen. It's, it's, I love that movie. It's an interesting one that I saw way too young, way too young. Uh, but Monkey Bone is a, is a very, very interesting movie. Um, I have those multiplied together, divided by the mask. Um, I kind of already talked about, um, I think that, uh, there are, you know, uh, imaginary friend that we have in this does have some sort of Jim Carrey energy, but I chose the mask, uh, uh, Chuck Russell's The Mask, uh, because I think that they also kind of have similar energy too, uh, to the way the, the movie is filmed. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, also directed by Chuck Russell. Um, but I think that the imaginary friend has the same sort of sensibilities that the mask does in that they're a cartoon come to life and as such they're able to create whatever is in their mind you know he's able to uh become a karate guy or you know have a hat or you know uh, kind of pull anything out of his pocket that he that he so um desires and also the mask has this weird 
cartoony but with a bit of a chip on its shoulder which i think that this film has so yeah i think that um as always you take all of these movies that uh we both have in our equation and i think you put it in a big a big uh gooey sauce pot and uh, i think that's exactly what this film is yeah and so the score that i was thinking of was um from the mask there's a there's a scene in don't look on a bed and um it like has like that very like similar like very pretty stuff at the beginning and mm-hmm. then it comes in and like I love the the title track of the mask when oh, it's yeah. like all pretty and then the dun, 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 dun. yeah yeah oh man that score is so fucking good I, I was thinking about that the other day because somebody posted like the new line cinema logo and they're like what movie first comes to mind when you think this a lot of people are saying scream but mine's the mask like the mask was like such a childhood staple for me that yeah the score is is a pretty underrated element of that movie I think of a uh, blade or mortal Kombat. Typical, Usually typical. When I see the, when I see the new, <laughs> Very on new brand for you. <laughs> of course it is. Um, but yeah, so that's going to go ahead and round out our uh, Decomber uh, talk for, for the month. It mm-hmm. was uh, nice getting to finish off the year with something a little bit light. Yeah. You know, um, it, because, you know, every uh, the holidays can be a chaotic time, you know, so it's nice to kind of uh, be able to unwind a little bit and uh, wrap yourself in a warm blanket of nostalgia and, yeah. you know, unlock some of these uh, core memories. So it was uh, fun getting to go back into these and, like, uh, actually, like, analyze them like real movies, which I appreciate. You know, yeah, we, I, we treat movies like real movies. All movies are real movies. <laughs> I feel like it was a, a fruitful uh, little jaunt down memory lane, too, because, uh, you know, surprisingly, some of these were real movies. Like, it wasn't that much of a stretch, you know. I think there's a lot of effort put into some of these. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was a, a very pleasant jaunt down memory lane, uh, very nostalgic as well. And uh, hopefully if you guys uh, joined us and watched some of these movies, it was a similar experience for you guys, too. But we've got uh, lots of fun, exciting stuff uh, coming very soon next year. Yeah, the the, the reflections don't stop. They because do not. we're going to be, uh, you know, reflecting on this past year for the next uh, a few episodes and then going into 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, so next episode, we're going to kind of have some uh, pod highlights for you. And, uh, and then after that, we're going to be uh, spending the month diving into the best of 2022 uh, in the new year. So yeah, I, I am going to be spending the, the next few days and coming weeks uh, just catching up on a lot of the horror uh, films that I'm like, oh, I really need to squeeze that in because I would hate for, you know, next February or January I watch it. And I'm like, oh, man, that totally would have been in my top 10. So I'm going to try to be doing some homework in the coming weeks, which I'm sure will not feel like work at all. Oh, same here. I'm already uh, signed up for two other best of 2022 podcast episodes so nice. i gotta have enough to be able to talk about different movies in sure. three episodes yeah so yeah it's uh it's been cramming time and uh but it, that's my favorite time of the year i, I really do uh love uh slamming down you know like 40 movies in december <laughs> like, let's go yeah, let's do it so garrett what are you working on right now oh is uh when i'm not you know catching up on some of the horror movies that i need to watch uh, for this year i uh am over on uh tiktok at garrett mcdowell uh, have some fun reviews and uh, best of lists of non-horror-related uh, things. So if you want to uh, keep in touch over there, we'd love to have you. Um, but also, I have a, a Star Wars podcast if you want to have some more uh, genre goodies in your ear um, over at the Scum and Villainy podcast. Got new episodes every Wednesday, so uh, go give us a listen, guys. And, of course, we always have links to all those in the show notes. And you guys can go find me on um, on Pod and Pendulum. We're covering the phantasm series right now super strange franchise mm-hmm. um a first time watch for all of them so if you want to hear some fresh uh, thoughts go check us out over there and then i'll also be doing some best of 22 lists um over on the incinerator pod that'll be coming out in like a week or two with uh, billy ray clark wolf and and a couple of other guests so excited for that for a nice uh horror 
horror panel discussion. And then also you can uh, go back on the Horror Queers YouTube and uh, we did a live uh, Zoom hangout talking uh, best of 2022, doing it in a match game style. Uh, there's like there's like 12 of us in the stream. Uh, so it's like a, a Brady bunch of horror of horror hounds. And it's a it was a fantastic time. So go check that out. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, as always, at underscore Daddy Disco. But now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.